Independent. Expressive of a spirit of independence, self-confident, unconstrained. Good evening. Welcome to Independence Day. My name is Joe Armstrong. This is the show that examines the changing face of the music business and the people who are doing the changing. Independence Day brings you independent artists, producers, and music industry visionaries with in-depth interviews, live performances, and inside information, all blessedly without hype and direct from the artists who practice their craft. Tonight on Independence Day, we are very happy to have Phil Parlapiano. If you want to play a lot of music, don't learn how to play the guitar. The thing is, everyone knows how to play guitar, from Eddie Van Halen on down to the bartender at your local pub, who might be as good a player as Eddie without the lucky breaks. They all know how to play the guitar. It's no wonder the instrument is affordable, portable, versatile, and powerful. Learn three chords and you're off to conquer the world. But this ubiquity makes it hard to get a paying gig as a guitar player. So the people who chisel out a decades-long career in music often find a niche for themselves by playing other instruments. Bass players get gigs. Piano players get gigs. Pedal steel players really get gigs. The cornerstone of Phil Parlapiano's long and successful career in music started because he knew how to play an instrument that used to be the punchline to numerous musician jokes, the accordion. When combined with his chops for more traditional keyboard instruments like piano and Hammond organ, Parlapiano and his squeeze box became a first-call go-to guy in the early 1990s, and he never looked back. He has a list of credits that include some of the best in the business. John Prine, Rod Stewart, Lucinda Williams, Elvis Costello, Tracy Chapman, Lowen and Navarro, Joan Baez, John Bon Jovi, and Toad the Wet Sprocket, to name just a few. He released a new solo album of original material in 2013 called The Mordacious Mr. Squeeze and continues to back up household names on stage and in the studio. Other players might be advised to stand next to him in hopes that some of that talent rubs off on them. And oh yeah, he plays guitar too. <laughs> Welcome to Independence Day. Phil Parlapiano. Uh, thanks for having me. Oh, man, it's an absolute pleasure. Thanks for coming all the way from yeah. Studio City. <laughs> studio City, where the to, studios to, are. To beautiful Glendale. And Obama's going to be in town, so I think oh, we've, yes. we've dodged that bullet. We did. We, we dodged it. So thanks, man. You, you, like, you're a guy, I first learned of you because I'm a liner notes junkie. Growing up, you know, I was starved for information about the music business, you know, where... Who played on what, you know, and what does Air Studios and Montserrat mean? And what does, you know, what do these people do? And like, how do they do it? And, and so I just started making connections, different people. Like, oh, I saw that this guy produced this record and then produced that record. Well, maybe I'd like that artist too. And you're a guy who showed up on John Prine's The Missing Years album, which was the first time, like I said, first time I think I saw your name and then started seeing you elsewhere as well. So recently when I saw you playing with a guy named Max Gomez at the Troubadour, I have reached out to you, and here we are. Yes. It's, it's a pleasure to have you, like I said. So you've, you've, played, you've played on more big-name acts than we've got time to list. I listed a few of them there in your introduction. But that one album, that's a very, very special album to me, and I think it's a very special album in John Prine's career as well. Tell me, because for him, uh, you know, he's kind of a little unknown up to that point. We're talking the early 90s here. Yeah, that's correct. And Howie Epstein, the now-deceased, uh, former bass player for Tom Petty's band, was a fan of Prine, as I understand it, and said, hey, he reached out to him and said, hey, let's make an album, because he knew all kinds of people and had money to invest in it. And that's kind of kind of where you come in. Like, how did you fall into this process? Well, that is um, that is true, and I, I owe a lot to uh, Howie Epstein. Um, he gave me my uh, my break playing with the first um, actual uh, record company album. I'd played on a bunch of uh, independents, but um, he had called me to play on his girlfriend's record, uh, Carlene Carter, before that, and she had a, a song called I Fell in Love, which consequently became a, 
quite a big hit in the country market. And then he, uh, we, we did a bunch of other stuff on it. We went over to his house in Beverly Hills, and he had uh, Tom uh, Petty's uh, two-inch. We did a bunch of stuff out there. And he um, he said, I'm going to work with this guy, John Prine. You ever heard of him? And I literally had heard of him because my uh, my best friend's wife was a huge fan. But I had never um, listened to him very much. And uh, so the first time I came in to uh, hear him, he was uh, eating some Italian sausages and smoking cigarettes. And he had this song called All the Best that uh, how he wanted me to play um, a little bit of accordion behind. And I remember hearing the song and I, and I thought, oh, this guy is, it's so simple and it's so good. There was a line about um, Christmas because he was obsessed with Christmas, which I kind of am too, about, um, uh, I know what um, love is like. I think Christmas I card, you decorate a yeah. tree and you throw it in the yard. Yes, right. And when he said he decorate the tree, I was like, yeah, and then you throw it in the yard. It decays and dies and the and snowman, snowman melts. And I once knew love. I knew how love felt. It was all about his divorce from his second wife. And I thought, oh, geez. This guy is great. Yeah, <laughs> I am. I can't believe I'm here. That's just it. like I, I honestly, it, it blows my mind to think that you could just. So you, you what you're telling me is that you yeah. knew, you knew Howie before. Yes, Prime. Not so, very long before. You know, okay. like maybe about two months before that. Okay, I had met him, and you know, we had we had done some work on the Carling Carter record, and he just, you know, I yeah. did everything that he did after that. Okay, yeah. And then, so then one day you just show up in the studio and there's John Prine sitting there. You don't really know at the time. It's like walking in and having, you know, honestly, the the esteem that I hold John Prine in as a writer is is just, it's beyond, I can't even, it's beyond the pale. I was I was actually pretty embarrassed that I did not know who he was. You know, I was familiar with Dylan and all the you know the great great writers, guys in the band, and and he definitely is is up in the same league, but. He hadn't been very popular because he had he had a one the first record was really quite popular, but after that he had done some records that weren't really commercially oriented at the time, the you know early seventies. Was he didn't have any hits? Yeah, he had kind of a gruff voice, so he didn't have that smooth voice. So you know, he was no, uh, you know, like um, uh, Dan Fogelberg type of uh, you know. Appeal. And he's a little quirky. Yes, and quirky. Yes, he's a little quirky. Like one time, I was asking about songwriting, and I know that he was quirky because I said sometimes I have trouble with the lyric, and he always said he said looked up and he goes, you know what I do? I I think of the weirdest thing on my mind, and I write about that. Yeah, yeah. So if anyone's out there who's listening doesn't have John Prine records. Go pick up his first record, pick up, and then pick up the Missing Years. Yes, which I think for me are the two high points yeah, that he's good. done. I mean, actually, I love uh, what's the record with the uh, Bruised Orange. Oh yeah, that's amazing, also amazing song. Also song a great record. All, but he's, they all have great songs. He's this yeah. guy. We were talking about this when we were setting up tonight. That he shares something in common with Tom Petty, in that on the surface his songs sound very very simple, and they really are very simple when it comes to the words mm-hmm. and what you know what he's actually saying is very simple. But they're very deep, and there's yeah. so much behind what he's writing in those simple, simple words. And Petty shares that yeah, too. Yeah, I, I won't back down, even as such a simple line. But I mean, if you think about it, it's, it means a myriad of things. Yeah, I mean, it's incredible. Yeah. yeah, because he'll come up with a catchy chorus yeah. and then fill in the fill in the gaps just enough 
so that you can draw your own conclusions and then relate to what he's saying, which is kind of the essence of what That's the we're essence all doing of good songwriting, right there. Yeah. That's in a, in a nutshell. It's, it has to be universal. It has to, every single person has to be able to relate it to his own experience in yeah. his own way. Or her. Or her. Uh, so now you you start in on this process and you figure out pretty much right away. Okay, this John Prine guy is is, is something special. Yes, yes. You yes. know how many tracks are you? You're pretty much all over that record, are you? Yeah, because uh, how he just well he used to like I said he did he did stuff in his house in Beverly Hills, and I was uh, just you know I was hanging at home. I don't even know what I was doing. I was oh I just finished my uh, record my record uh, deal cycle. I had a record deal in 1989 and 1990, and we had toured a little bit, and it like was that with Brothers Figaro. That was with the Brothers Figaro, yes. Kind of your first. That band, was on right? Geffen Geffen Records, and uh, I had I met a lot of people through through that uh, association. Luckily, being a Geffen, and my manager had introduced me to Howie, and and a few other people from the Go Go's, and they were kind of people that would call me every once in a while and recommend me for things. So I wasn't doing a whole lot. So how we'd call up at literally like um, 1230, you know, after midnight and I'd be up because, Hey, you want to come over and uh, play on some uh, tracks? And I go, great. I drive down his house in Beverly Hills and, um, and we do some tracks and then we do it in his hallway. They put up some um, like blankets against yeah. that closet. I mean, you know, that's the whole record was done in yeah. his house. Yeah. You know, and such a great record because it really, I mean, we're not talking Katy Perry success, but it did break John oh, yeah, no, Prine to a much. And won a Grammy too, yeah. won a Grammy, yeah. and it broke him to a much, much wider yeah. audience. I mean, I myself, that's when I learned about uh, John yeah. Prine. A lot of people did, yes. Uh, you know, and then went back right away because yeah. I knew I knew enough, you know, as a, even I was writing songs then, I knew enough like, okay, this is great, but this is obviously not his yeah. first record. So I went back in time, went back and got Bruce Orange and got the first records and was just blown away. Like to this day when I hear Paradise, Mm-hmm. The the air smelled like snakes. Yeah, that line just kills me. I know it's fantastic. It's it's just fantastic. I mean, every songwriter yeah. out there could learn something by sitting down and, and you know learning some to, uh, John Prine. Most song. people think that's a traditional song, like a traditional folk song. In fact, Bill Monroe did it. You know, which did is, he really? Yes, he did, wow. which is pretty amazing. And you know, it's like no, it's not traditional. It's yeah. it's like John Prine wrote it. There's, yeah, there's a yeah. handful of songwriters who I feel like you know are writing. The Great American Songbook. I mean, yeah. of course, Dylan belongs there. He's kind of like yeah. he's kind of the shoe in. But then you've got guys like Prine, or, you know, yeah. and uh, Towns Van Zant. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, Steve Earle, perhaps a little bit. Steve Earle's touch on, t- he touches on it. There's touches no on it. Yes, of course. Uh, you of know, course. these are, these are the people that we we should look to. Yeah, we do. Know? I mean, that's they're they're the ones that that are holding. You know, that the, they they put up the standards. So you know, when you hear other songwriters, they say, "Oh, this is a great songwriter." It's like. Eh. It's all right. I mean, I myself, as far as I'm concerned, my songwriting. I mean, I, I had to stop myself from not writing songs because every time I wrote a song, I would go, "Well, is this as good as John Prine's song?" Yeah. It's like no. Or even another guy I worked with, uh, Grantley Phillips, you know, from Grantley Buffalo. Is this as good as a Grant song? It's like, mm. yeah, yeah, you know. And I had to tell my friend and my friends, and we talk about this all the time because we can't be concerned with that. We just yeah. got to do our thing. Got to do your thing yeah, to the best you of your ability. Exactly. Man. So that's because it was really keeping me from writing for many, many years. That, that, I, it's intimidating. It's totally intimidating. Yes. And there are two other guys yeah. I want to add to that list. Mm. Uh, favorites of mine: John Hyatt. Oh yes, yes. Well, I think is kind of like yes. that as well. And then Tom Waits. Tom Waits, yes. Of who course. and for him, like he he's almost a genre to himself. Yeah, like I know. he he like 
Tin Pan Alley. Yeah, almost, no, I mean, you know, you know when I, I, I used to say didn't I really didn't care for the Eagles. I go, except for that song, Old 55, they wrote a good one there. And I go, oh, it's Tom Waits. That's because it's Tom Waits. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, they, they've become a nostalgia band for me. Oh, the Eagles? Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, they're, they're great. I mean, they're, they're really know, great. But it's like I've, I've heard Hotel California enough in my life. I mean, I, you know, how yeah. many times can you hear it? I don't know. Yeah. The <laughs> one like, thing I will say, I still, to this day, I love Don Henley's voice. Yeah, no, it's amazing. It's, it's, uh, he's got a classic voice. He's like Levon, you know? It's yeah. Like a, it's like a, a poppy Levon, I guess. American archetypal voice. And in the old days, the the band, when they, before they had a thousand members in the band, when it was just the five of them, I yeah. mean, they were a really, really good band. Yeah. The good players. Yeah. They were really good players. And, and Don played great drums and sang, which was hard to do. And they worked you know? on their writing. There's oh, a yeah, reason yeah. why. Uh, Greatest Hits Volume 1 is one of the biggest yeah. selling records no. in history. It's because those are super solid no, songs. They are. They are. They, they deserve they deserve everything they've gotten. They do. And, well, they, they overcharge, but I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to go down that road. Phil Parlapiano is my guest tonight on Independence Day. Let's play one of your tunes here. We, okay. you know, we, could, we could talk about the people we love all night long, but speaking okay. of great songs, you're a great songwriter. Well, thank you. On your on your own right. So uh, this is going to be your first track. We're going to play something off of your uh, your most recent record. Came out just this year. Yes, the more audacious Mr. Squeeze. The more audacious Mr. Squeeze, and uh, the track is called "The New World." So Phil Parlapiano here on Independence Day. Let's hear this.
is Phil Parlapiano. He's my guest on Independence Day. Tonight, he is a Los Angeles-based multi-instrumentalist writer. Uh, keyboard is your, kind of your main thing, right? I do a lot of keyboard, but you know, I do most of my sessions on accordion because you know, when you have Ben Mon around, you know. I was going to say, you, <laughs> you kind of pick up all the stuff, all the gigs that he can't fill, right? Yeah, yeah I did that I did that for a while, but he's just great. Yeah, we're I speaking know. about Ben Mont Tench, of yes. course, one of uh, one of my favorite keyboard yes. players of all the he time. He plays pretty much like how I would play if I played like him. Yeah, and the thing, the thing with him, you know, I don't know if you what your practice regimen is, but yeah. I think he still plays hours a day. Does I he? I think that's his shtick. Like yeah. he's, I think he said like, yeah. I mean, I feel bad if I don't shed woodshed yeah. four hours a day, which is incredible yeah. considering how much he's done and he still works so hard at it. Yeah, that's nice. I mean, that's a work. I ethic, can get man. about a half hour in a day. That's <laughs> yeah, in between uh, yeah. full house reruns. Yeah. Uh, you can learn about Phil and his music at parlapiano.com, P-A-R-L-A-P-I-A-N-O. Uh, kind of like parlor piano almost, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, a little bit, yeah. You've never heard that before, I'm I, sure. Yeah, I did. Uh, you can also find him on Facebook, facebook.com slash phil.parlapiano, myspace.com slash philparlapiano, and he's on Twitter. You can follow him at Mr. Squeeze one and that's a nickname that you got from John Prine. That's correct, yes. Which he, he kind of name drops that in uh, a tune. Sins of Memphisto. Sins of Memphisto, yes, yes. yes. What kills me about this, though, man, is that there's a Mr. Squeeze. You're, you, had, you had to be Mr. Had Squeeze one, yeah. one. I don't know who that guy is. I think he's actually in a, like an old time accordion player. Or something. Yeah. yeah. Well, at least it's always well, tied to the accordion. Yeah. At least just same. Uh, you know, yeah, yeah. Denominational exactly. differences. Uh, so you 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 walk me forward from the point at which you know you you'd already had some success by the time you started playing with Prime, right? Yeah, yeah. I had a I had a little bit of success. It was it's a long it's been a long ro- long rocky road, but yeah, it was. I didn't start to have real uh, commercial success, meaning like playing on records that. Uh, people besides the people's friends heard until I started playing the accordion. Yeah, and I can honestly, I can put that down to one and two guys that that encouraged me to play the accordion. There was one guy uh, who gave me my first accordion, which is a, a old Chinese accordion, which was not very good. But he he uh, he had done a record for Geffen. His name was Tim Scott, and he later went on to form a band called the Havelinas. And um, he had a song, uh, the the song single he was playing, and the the guy from Los Lobos had played um, accordion on it. So he wanted me to play on play it live. So he gave gave me the accordion, and then right the second I played um, accordion on it, uh, I, uh, Marvin Etzioni, who was a, a local favorite, 
uh, saw me doing it, and then he encouraged me to play on his records and his um, with him uh, live. And uh, then I started playing. Uh, we got my old buddy from um, junior high school. His name is Bill Bonk. We got the Brothers Figaro together um, to open for the Havelinas over at at um, Molly Malone's. And that was before Molly Malone's actually had music. They had they just had a guy playing Irish music on the weekends, and we went in on Tuesdays and we started this this thing that was just incredible. You know, it was it was packed. It was people were out the door. It was like the end of the '80s, but we were playing acoustic music, so it was very intriguing to them. We got very it got very popular very fast. Although we always thought it was popular for the Havelinas, and then then pretty soon people were asking us if we had manager or if we had a record deal and we're like, you crazy. And then we got offered a record deal like at that place from, we got offered two from Geffen and from Capitol records, Capitol records. The guy who offered us a deal was Nigel Harrison, who had been the bass player in Blondie. So it was kind of a, a yeah. weird thing too. So a lot, I, it, it, I was older I, I wasn't young at the time. I wasn't old, but I was, you know, I, I had done music for so long and just kind of. Ex- <laughs> you were smart enough to know better. <laughs> I was, well, I was, I was, I was waiting for the shoe to drop. I'll tell you that. And I was, I was just so, uh, so beaten down. I had, I had some early success when I was very young. I had toured with Joan Baez and, um, and I really enjoyed it. You know, we had gone, done theaters and these huge, huge things and uh you know i got the you know the usual um uh thing that happens when you when you're playing with somebody they decide that they don't want to use you anymore and it was so strange because i was so young i was like i i couldn't understand that at all yeah. i was like why would but i but i was I'm in good. your band i'm in your band exactly i'm in your band what do you mean you know it's like and the manager like oh, we're not going to need your services and it broke my heart man yeah. it's it's still it's just crazy. I just that was a that was the first time I thought you know this is how it really is. Yeah, that's that really yeah. smarts. I've had that happen yeah. a couple times. Yeah. and and some people you know both as a as like a technician and as a musician, mm-hmm. and some people are very passive aggressive about that. Yes, it's just like they a just don't call you back. They just don't call you. <laughs> they just one day they just they, go on another tour and you're yeah, not on it. <laughs> they just they stop calling one day, and you know if you're you know if you're fortunate, you know somebody in the organization yeah. kind of pulls you aside and says like hey, you know before it happens, yeah. like you know just. Give me a heads up that maybe you should start looking for something looking, else. Looking around. And at yeah. the time you don't want to believe it. You're like no. totally in denial. Like, well, wait a minute, this is my job. I'm or I'm in your band or yeah. whatever, you know? Well, we had grown up in a time when I mean, my uh my my partner Bill and I had been in um our our favorite people were like uh I used to just call them the section. It was uh Lynn Squire and, oh, yeah. and Russ Kunkel and and Kenny Edwards. And uh, all Linda Rodstad's band, and we saw Linda Rodstad had the same band for eight years. In fact, Kenny Edwards, he's dead now, unfortunately, but he was on our first uh, Brother Swigger record, and we always talked to him about it. And you know, he had told us about the times when Linda used to split the money down the half. She took half of the money and she split the rest of the money for the band when they played gigs, and that's unheard of now. Yeah. Everybody just gets a salary, and it's way less than you it. Know, what does been. happen yeah. though? Counting crows, I know. Mm-hmm. Adam Duritz, because uh, he he does the lion's share of the writing. Right. He does split his publishing, publishing yeah. with the band. Well, that's what you two did as well. Yeah, that's what kept the band together. That's yeah. how you keep a band together. Yeah, you share yeah. what money comes. Black you, Sabbath, you split it yes. up because and that's you know it's 
it's a, it's a good way to do it if, it you, if you care about what you're trying to do. But yes. you're right. I know so many bands yeah. that you wouldn't even know. I mean, they're a band only in name. Yeah. You know, there there might be four guys or however, three, three women, yeah, whatever. Yeah, it's, it's some session guys, faceless session guys. But they all live yeah. in. Well, I mean, these are, but they're guys yeah. who are, they're in the band. It's always the same people, yeah. but the guy, the one guy owns the rights. Oh, yes, the yes, 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 yes. And they're, then, he even the though money. he keeps the same people, and they, he, but he pays the rest of the band a salary. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, and they can be summarily dismissed at any time, you know? Yeah, but at least, I mean, even I think that's how, how it was with Linda Rothstein, but I had this concept that you would get in a band, kind of like, like old time, like my dad, when he was like, well, you get to a company and you put your nose to grindstone and yeah. 50 years later, you're still there. You get a and, watch. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so I just didn't, I, the, the idea of like being let go from something, unless I did something wrong, which I never did, you know, it's like, it was never like that. Cause, it, and I understand it, you know, I guess if I was a band leader, every once in a while you try, you know, well, let's try somebody else just because yeah. or sometimes yeah. <laughs> you know sometimes you uh you know i think of uh you know bowie's an extreme example yeah. of someone who's always shape-shifting and changing oh, yeah, what yeah. he's doing of course, but, yeah. but bands you know they kind of evolve and shift through different uh kind of lineups like Mellencamp's band for yeah, example of course, like yeah. he, did a, he did a handful of records with lisa germano and yeah. john casella playing the accordion larry crane larry crane yeah yeah I know. and you know had all those same players are and off and then you know, then you, you kind of have to get away from that. And it's it's frustrating as a listener sometimes because you really, really like what they're doing. Steve Earle's a good example. You, you of relate that. to that, you know, that's, You're really that time. into that time. Yeah. And then you, it's like watching a kid grow up in a way because you know they have to change. They can't keep doing the same thing as it will get stale. Yeah. So when they, when they change, I always say it's like, uh, I like that they're changing, but I don't necessarily have to like how like where it's changed. going yeah but i but i know that they need to do it they need to do it it was there was an exception to the rule like there was a really funny thing in the in uh, uh not to date myself but in the 70s when you had all these great rock and roll bands and then 77 hit and disco was it and yeah. then all of a sudden all your rock bands had yeah, disco songs you know except and, for van halen yes somehow <laughs> i don't know how they did that like yeah, somehow, they kind of avoid it they because did. that was exactly the same time. Yeah, but you know, but you know, like Rod, Rod Stewart, and you know, even the even, Stones, even the Stones, disco it tune. was a major disco song. You know, and of course, back when you listen to it now, both of those songs are are listenable because yeah. they're you know it was it was good. It was good disco. It wasn't like bad yeah. disco. But, Rod went a yeah. little farther down the. Yeah, well, just I'm talking about the one song. I know you had a bunch of other songs that were not as good as. Yeah, down Do you the think disco sexy? rabbit. Yeah. Hole. <laughs> anyway, let's let's take a step away from talking about the lineage of rock and roll. I want to hear you play some of your own music. Oh, okay. You've got you've brought three different instruments. Yes, I did yes. tonight. And what's this first track going to be, man? Uh, this song is called "Girlfriend Revenge," and it's a short little ditty I play on the uh, four-string uh, tenor banjo. Tender banjo. So that's tuned like a mandolin? Uh, it's, it's tuned like a, a mandola. It's a okay. C, but it's tuned in fifths for all you music yeah, people yeah, out there. Yes. Yeah, like a violin. Or yeah, a like a violin, yes. Fifths, or a mandolin, okay. yes. Yeah, well, that's, that's your music theory corner for the week, <laughs> kids, for those of you taking notes at home. So let's hear this. This is Phil Parlapiano. We are so very, very happy to have him in our studio tonight talking about his new record and his long and storied career playing with so many household names that I would need a small book to print them all. Maybe we'll put a few up on the website. So, uh, and they include like Rod Stewart, John Prine, uh, Lucinda Williams. Uh, help me out here, Phil. Oh, There's Trace so, Chapman. Tracy Chapman. There's so many. Yes. Have Liza you, Minnelli ones. You've got to have the most amazing. <laughs> I mean, this is a, this is a totally archaic term, but you must have the most amazing Rolodex. 
Ah, uh, that is a arcade. Yeah, I do. I do. It's right. a good one. So this is one of his tunes, though. This is his track, Philip Parler Piano, here on Independence Day. Joe Armstrong. His name is Phil Parlapiano. That's a track on banjo, one of my favorite instruments. But it's actually not even a. I say I almost said it's not a real banjo. Of course, it's a real banjo. It's a real banjo, but, but it's, it's not the banjo you think of. Yeah, the five it's not string. a five string yeah, banjo. Yeah. It's uh, but it's, it's a different a four kind string. of. Yeah, and that's a cool tune, man. It's like you have Thank to get you. your like one four five kind of thing going on there. But yes. it's a little Randy Newman esque. Yeah, yeah, it's a little, it's a little funky, and the and the lyrical content about you know the. Uh, the dangers of putting uh, uh, videos, yeah, risque videos of you and your girlfriend on online. What very, uh, yes. very timely. It's timely. Timely in twenty. You can hashtag it, and you can exactly. <laughs> you can pick that up on the mordacious Mister Squeeze. His new record dropped in twenty thirteen. That's on the CD Baby. The CD Baby, right. and yes, and and iTunes. As yeah, well. I like the CD Baby. We had Brian Felson, the president. We had them on him on the show oh, yeah, at good. one point. Cool guy. Yes, yes, nice guy. Not. Uh, because uh, I actually went to Derek Sivers. Yeah, Derek is who I, I we we actually all knew him because yeah. he was a friend of Grant's. Yeah. I knew Derek because we were at Berkeley at the same time. Oh, wow. he was on my floor. Yeah, the story I always tell people. I've probably said it twenty times on this show. I was in his room when uh, he had. Remember those Seymour Duncan convertible amplifiers that had different tubes you could plug in to oh, get yeah, different yeah, yeah. tube architecture. Yeah. It like blew up uh-huh. in his room and like caught on fire, and we had to air out his room in the wintertime. So, uh, cool. you know, he, I'm not sure that he would know me in a bar or anything, but I kind of yeah, know the man. Nice success story for good him. Good success yeah, story. Yeah, yeah, really good. Yeah. So, man, where do we even go with this? We've talked about your Rolodex. We've talked about your kind of break. Um, riddle me this. You know, yes. you've kind of been. Recording is kind of like a touch point 
yes, for your career. Yes. Was that something that you just kind of knew how to play from growing up? Because you came from kind of a musical family, or did, was yeah. it, did you just kind of inherit one because you play keyboards and then you're just squeezing a keyboard instrument? Like, where where did the genesis of because that's going to kind of become your thing? Yeah, well, it was it was very. Uh, um, fortuitous that my friend Tim gave me the accordion. I had never even played an accordion before that. I think my friend Bill, I'd grown up with my friend Bill who we had the brothers figure together and we had, you know, learned how to play mandolin and little fiddle, whatever was around my house. Cause my grandmother used to play all sorts of instruments, but we didn't have an accordion, but his brother had an accordion and he played every once in a while. And we'd always like, Oh no, we can't use that for anything. We never liked the sound of it. But, um, the accordion that Tim gave me had uh, what was called music tu- musette tuning, which was a little oh. bit hipper, a little bit more like a New Orleans type of sound, a French type of sound. And um, I pretty much took to it pretty easily. It was just a matter of learning how to, when to breathe in and when to breathe out. It's very much like singing. Yeah. And um, because I didn't really know how to play the, the accordion, um, I never really learned how to play the accordion. I, I stayed away from all the cliches. So I was able to play it more like a, like a, a synthesizer almost, you know, something like a, a pad thing like a with textural, little melodies, like textures. Textural yeah. Stuff. And it really worked well. And it, the funny thing is, well, the interesting is when we, we used to play with Tim, we used to, he was, he came out of the punk thing. He was in a band called the rock hats, uh, who was a stray cats type of band. And we used to play like the Lassa club and things like that, which were big punk clubs, back then and um i break the accordion out and people would laugh man. yeah you'd hear people oh, ha, ha, ha. yeah it was like a gag yeah it was a gag they thought it was a gag and i'm like no it's not a gag and then tim would say yeah wait till you hear him play it you know i play it and by the end they're like wow i never really realized that the accordion yeah. was pretty cool I'm like, yeah i know and then um we we did a lot of the a lot of that and then of course you know within three years by 1993 i mean the there, there were so many people breaking out their accordion. You know, yeah. uh, Bruce Hornsby and, and the Counting Crows and a few other bands that were big and successful. And then, you know, of course, as it always is in this business, if someone successful does it, then it's okay. It gets the, it's yeah. like, it's okay to do. Yeah. But before that, it was not okay to do. It, yeah. was, it was kind of. I think that, I mean, you were, of course, exceedingly talented, but also, you know, it. right place, right time. Yes, yeah, so for that. Because, yeah. you know, after the 80s, we were all there in the 80s. It was a very synthesized decade. Oh, it was horrible. You know, everything was run through chorus pedals. Yes. And all the snares were gated. No, it is. And everything had synth pads on it. And yes. Like, there were great songs there through were. the decade. And songs that I love to this very day. But we wanted something. I remember... Like uh, uh, Edie Brickell, mm-hmm. when their second album came out, like I remember thinking, because that was Matt Chamberlain on drums, and I yes. remember thinking, I love the way those drums sound because they're not gated. Yes. They're not big reverb, but they sound like drums in a room, kind of. You know, yes. maybe compressed. Like compression was a big thing. Well, yeah, it was, still a, it was still a big deal. But uh, it sounded more real. And I think that, you know, people, it's kind of after that whole decade of all the synthesized stuff, they wanted something that was kind of like, the accordion is a temperamental instrument. Yes, it is. You know, it's it, it's a little, it's always a little out of yeah. tune and it's wheezy and it's kind of a beast to play and, and but it's very, it, you know, it, can't, it doesn't get more real. No, no. You get, you, you, you hear the, like a, like a, like a nice voice. That's interesting you mentioned E. Raquel because our, the, the Brothers Figaro record was done by the producer. His name was Pat Moran. Yeah, Pat Moran. He's deceased right now. But, um, he had just come off that record 
And he was notorious because he came in and he he hated everybody in the band. He fired everybody in the band. Oh, Edie Brickell's band? Yeah, Ebert, yeah, except for the bass player. And the guitar player, I think, got Kenny to... Kenny Withrow was still... Think, yeah, yeah and the keyboard player, I mean, the guitar player got to play. And and he replaced it all basically with McCartney's first band. Uh, Wicks, who is still Wicks. actually with, with McCartney. And Chris Witten, who was in the Waterboys, which the Waterboys was a really huge, you know, uh, roots rock band yeah. at, the, at the day. And... Um, and uh, Robbie Blunt, you know, it's Robbie Blunt who played with uh, uh, Robert Plant, did Big Log. Yeah. And uh, so I would be in the studio and he did two things that were really, I mean, our, he's, you know, our, our producer, but we'd be trying to do this organic thing because we were all coming from, it's the end of the 80s. I, yeah, I had synthesizers. I hated them, you know? Yeah. I, I don't want to see a yeah. MIDI cable for I don't want to see, yeah, exactly. I didn't play, I didn't play synthesizers for five years after that, you know? It's like, and I got in the studio with Pat, and the first thing he wants to do is put chorus on the acoustic guitar. Oh, like, my least favorite <laughs> thing ever. He, he goes, he always goes, ah, I'll put a TC on it, right? It's always the TC. Yeah, yeah, right? TC electronic. And so we had to stop him and go, no. This record cannot have chorus on the guitar, yeah. you know. And he was like, well, "But, but, but." And then, and the other thing, he wanted to have the gated drums. Yeah. And then we put, we actually, he he wouldn't, he couldn't stop me. He couldn't stop. I couldn't stop him. He made me put a synth pad on every single song, one oh. of the songs. And it's way in the background. You don't hear it, but it's there. And I never understood that because he he had that. We layered everything, and you know, and we we ended up with a record that we were so like not ashamed of it. We're so upset because we wanted to make this almost skiffle record as Kenny used to say it. Yes. It was the first one. It's called gypsy beat. That's a new lay, a new cover and everything. Okay. The, the, I'll show you the original. It was very, we, we got the great treatment. We got great artwork. We got, you know, they spent incredible amount of money on it, mostly because it's Pat Moran and he just was into those old ways. It was like excess, buy it, you know, have a TC there, have three TCs, these, uh, these units have an AMS. These are all like, they cost like $150 a day to rent, you know, crazy, crazy stuff. It was a different time. It was though. a different time. And I mean, at, right after that, and then I'm putting the accordion on, we had to rent an accordion that wasn't as much out of tune as mine because he couldn't stand the out of oh, wow. Yes. So you're, whatever you say is right. Everything had to be perfect. It was like, they didn't, we didn't have things like, um, uh, Mel- uh, Melodyne, which is a uh, pitch correct for the vocal. Oh no! What they what he did was he would like take every note and then he would he would actually put it into another tape machine and pitch it speed until it, up it speed up until it was it was incredibly incredible. It was like a monster after we were done. Wow. A lot of people liked the record and I liked the record too. My record Gypsy Beat, but it wasn't what we wanted to do. It was so just. Dis- it was once again another lesson in in. Yeah. Music business. Music reality. <laughs> Music reality, yes. So then, I mean, I want to tie together what okay, we've been please. talking about, just, you know, the, the, the accordion and then like the whole John Prine experience, yes. which is kind of like a big break for you. Let's play a little bit of the track. Uh, it's from The yeah, Missing the first Years, one. which is that breakout record. It's a track called All the Best. We yeah. referenced it before, yes, talking about the Christmas tree. We've got Christmas right around the corner. Uh, let's play a little bit of this, and we'll come back and talk about okay. it in just a second. So this is Phil Parlapiano playing the accordion on this track from John Prine's The Missing Years, which, if I'm correct... Is 1992. Yes, that sounds about right. I think it's 92. Right yeah. thereabouts. All right, so Phil Parlapiano playing accordion with John Prine, the legendary John Prine.
I wish you love and happiness. I guess I wish you all the best. I wish you don't do like I do. Never fall in love with someone like you. Cause if you feel just like I did, you probably walk around the block like a little kid. But kids don't know, they can only guess how hard it is to wish you happiness. I have always and still love this song. It's oh yeah, so <laughs> still one of my favorites. Still one of my favorites. I even, you know, I'm not much of a covers guy, but I did a, a record of acoustic tunes once, which sounds like a Spinal Tap joke. <laughs> but I really did. Like I, I had a whole bunch of new tunes and wanted to kind of demo them, but yet it kind of became this kind of underground acoustic record. And I covered yes. this song. Yes, because I learned some Travis picking. Yes, yes. style because he Brian does kind of a weird. Weird two finger Travis yes, picking, yes. and I kind of learned it. And I was actually challenging to learn because yeah. his pattern is done with two fingers, and yes. I was trying to do it with more like three. Yeah. Almost everybody makes that mistake. And Prime, yes. or, uh, yeah. Dave Steve Earl does almost the exact same thing. Yeah, yeah, like a two finger technique. So tell me, tell me, like this specific song, some story about it. Oh, this song. What? Yeah. Well, well I, as I was saying before, I mean, when I when I came in, it was the first song I had heard of his, and so um, it was when I really uh, discovered his his uh, genius so is so as to say and i think uh, right after it i think we uh, he said oh do you want some italian sausage because that's what he, you know we always did was eat yeah so he's a he, chicago guy yeah yeah we made we made some sausage we ate it and then we we listened to the song and we we love he loved it he never said much because he always sat in the corner and just kind of smiled and smoked cigarettes you know, and uh, drink coffee, I think. Well, I bet he was beside himself with joy to have that opportunity to have a guy like Epstein oh, yeah. kind of like pull him up into the big leagues almost. I think what had happened is that that uh, everybody had gotten complacent, especially since after the 80s. I mean, was such a, a not a forgiving time for a singer-songwriter. In fact, it was quite the opposite. And so... Um, that anybody could survive, even Dylan through the eighties. Um, although he did some good records and Brian did some good records too, but that you could survive commercially, uh, was a testament, you know, that you could continue to have a crowd. Of course, uh, almost everybody lost their record deals in the eighties and, you know, even Van Morrison lost his deal on Warner brothers. And John actually was one of the first people where Al Bonetta said, okay, well, you know, I'm going to do something. I'm going to, we're going to play a live show. And we're going to say that we're going to make a record out of it. And we're going to get, we're going to have little postcards and um, put them out at the concert at the coach house. It was one. And uh, we'll see who wants to buy the record. If we made, it goes, we made a CD from this, who would buy it? And it was like ridiculous. It was 99% of all the people went there would buy the record. Wow. Because back then, of course, you didn't sell yeah. CDs at the gigs. And so that was the start of their company. Yeah. And so they started this company called Oh Boy. Oh and, Boy Records. Yeah. And th- I think they were one of the first people to be quite successful starting their own record company. Yeah, they're like the yeah. original independent. Yes. And I'm not talking like, you know, blood, no, A&M or like anything like that. Bloodshot yeah, yeah, right, or yeah. uh, like indie indie. Oh, yeah, right. Indie You know, yeah. they were, you know, but they were kind of ahead of the curve. They were totally ahead of the curve, yes. Because you know? that, that kind of became the thing that everybody did. Yes. Like when Steve Earle got out of jail mm-hmm. <laughs> after his whole drug weapons lockup thing in the mid 90s, like he 
was super talented, but he was kind of like Robert Downey Jr. Right. When he was in his crazy period. Nobody would invest in him. Right. Because he was too much of a risk. Yeah. So he and Ray Kennedy, uh, and then the other guy, E, oh, God, I can't remember. Because E squared, the other guy from E squared, I can never remember his name. Yeah, I just I looked either. it up the other day. And they started E, e squared. Yeah. You know, basically to put out his records. Right. But I then Oh Boy ended up signing other people like Todd Snyder. Yes. Was a, he did very is, well. Is, was, is he still, might still be an Oh Boy artist. I, I don't, don't know. know. I think he still has some, some, some stuff on there. And now they're, they're picking up a lot of like, they pick up some old Chris Christopherson. Okay. And, and like Jazzy and a few other kind of like how, um, um, Max's label. New West, New West, yes, New West, yes, New West. I love New West. Yes, man. they're 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 picking up all the other people that we love, you know, and and keeping them relevant and you know making records with them because some of these guys don't have enough, you know, uh, money to to get the distribution and everything, so they need you know yeah. a little leg up, and it's just good because this music needs to be heard. So it's a testament to. John, he had he hadn't really done that much in the eighties as far as commercial success and to, to have Howie come in and just go he brought Springsteen to sing background with right. him. Bonnie Raitt. Bonnie Raitt sang background with him. Yeah. And this these were all things that really helped his career. Yeah, the people just you know, pulling this yeah. speaking of liner yes. notes, the people who played on this record, of course yourself, but then you just go down the list here and there are I mean, it's like a who's who of the music business at that point. David Lindley, Ben yeah. Mont Tench. Uh, John Jorgensen. Yeah. Uh, Amazing. Uh, Albert Lee. Albert Lee played a lot of guitar on it. Yeah. Uh, you know, Ben Mont again. Howie, yeah. of course, played yeah. on it. Howie's um, amazing. He was an amazing know, musician. These are these are heavy hitters yeah. in the business. So, I mean, you know, and Howie had the connections and money yeah. if it took it to get those people to come in and Springsteen to come down and sing on like a John Prine song. And I'm sure Springsteen was like, you want me to come sing in a John Prine record? Hell yeah. Yeah. It's really I'll what it was. I'll fly myself yes. out there. Well, it, was, it was. He was really into it. Uh, anyway, so, again, we keep coming back to Prime, but he's so yeah. great. Anyway, how about another one of your tunes, man? Oh, great. I, feel like I, I would love to hear some more of what you're all about. You got this brand new ish record, right? What's yes. the life cycle of a record nowadays? Uh, as long as you want. Five, ten years. As long as, you, <laughs> long as it needs to be, I think. Exactly. So, what's this going to be? It's man? called The Road Is Not My Own. And this is about, uh, oh, those horrible affairs and such. Uh, yeah, yeah. but like, not it, not from a not recently. It's an old song. <laughs> I've read I've read about such things. Yes, yes. All right, they make for good songs. They do. And yeah. you got to live to have good songs, man. Yeah. Got to break some hearts. Yeah. So this is Phil Parla Piano here on Independence Day. Last time that I saw her was the last time that I cried. She filled my head with so many ideas and I went numb inside. More and more I lose control. This road is not my own. Oh, and every night I can't face going home Said I think you talk too much Wear your busted heart on your sleeve Fortune wanes and everything's the same And still I can't believe more and more I lose control This 
road is not my own Oh, and every night I can't face going home Oh 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 The morning light will call her though The moon still knows my name I'll never outrun this early rising sun That beats me at this game More and more I lose control This road is not my own Oh, and every night I can't face going home Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah Original music from Phil Parlipiano here on Independence Day. You can drop by his website, parlipiano.com, pretty much as it sounds. We'll have a link to it on our website, of course. And my website, our website, I guess I should say, indepthday.com. I'd love for you to drop by and hear some artists and some music we've got on there. We've got really, really, really great artists, and we're adding more all the time. Looking forward to another great year. And we are coming up on our 100th show. Can you believe that, man? Uh, congratulations. It's a lot. Thank you. It's been a lot of it's been a lot of work, but it's been a lot of fun, man. I've met so many wonderful people, and I'm looking forward to bringing more people to you in 2014. Uh, also, you can follow him on Twitter, Mister Squeeze One, uh, MySpace. Tell me about MySpace because it's kind of coming. <laughs> it's kind of coming back. I think is it. Well, didn't didn't that guy from uh, Justin Timberlake bought it or something? Yeah. Yes. You know, I I personally haven't been on it for a while, but they tell me it's coming back. That's what I hear. Yeah. I mean, I don't. I'm not. I'm not, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not on it myself anymore. But I. I mean, it was the thing before Facebook. Oh, it was amazing. The and then thing. it kind of became it only a music thing because yes. it was more catered towards that. But I, I could never get away. I, I all the backgrounds with the blinky stuff. And yeah, the, it was yeah. like too, too blingy. For it me. was great when it first started. It was just very simple, and there was yeah. a music player, and that was it. Yeah. Yeah. Like everything else, the beginning is when it's the best. Yeah, we we discussed that. Like uh, the first uh, episodes of Bewitched, amazing. <laughs> the, early, <laughs> the early Roadrunner cartoons. Is that right? I have it. Yes. The uh, the early episodes of Mash when they still oh, filmed yeah. outside on the lot. Yes, you know, very that's the very thing. much better. You know, early episodes of the Happy Days, believe it or not. Early episodes yes. of the Happy Days. <laughs> but you know, and that's what blows me away about people when I think about somebody. Here, here comes Petty again, or here comes yeah. Prine again, or here comes like. Trying to think of someone who Petty's the example. Like he's the best one I can think of that are consistently good uh, throughout their entire career. Like Beatles, they, just, they were the good. Beatles. Yeah, they just, <laughs> yeah. yeah, they just kept getting better and better yeah. and better. Like uh-huh. I feel like our our modern in- industry and our society doesn't support that anymore. Well, no, they well, it's because they need you to be successful from the get go. Yeah, and um, I understand because people have a very short attention span, and they need the. Uh, uh, I'm sure you've heard this conversation a thousand times, but when uh, the music business, when rock and roll was early, 
um, in the early days, the or I'm talking about the sixties and seventies, records were so cheap yeah. that you could make a record for five thousand dollars, eight thousand dollars in the day, in a day, and so. Uh, record companies were willing to go, well, let's throw this out there. It, it sticks great. If not, then you got two more. They could and take they, some yeah. risks. And it was always like about the third record where you start saw it yeah. starting to happen. And then yeah. they got traction. They they kind of came into their own. They came, they yeah. developed their sound. Even a band, well, R.E.M. notwithstanding, because I love the first three, four out records. They were one of the inspirations for everything that we did in the 80s because they were the only band in the 80s that we thought were, was organic as yeah. far as rock and roll. Yeah. You know, and some U2 a little bit. But um, that uh, they could have a long backlog and work on their craft and get it just to the point where it's just commercial enough. They find their sound, and then the people are, uh, you know, they have enough yeah. people on board to make it happen. Yeah, and then and yeah. then they make money because it's yes. actually good art. Exactly, and they'll make money for a long time because after the first record, there'll at least be two or three more records that they'll still be big because they'll still have a, a crowd. Yeah, like REO Speedwagon. I'm sorry I mentioned all these '70s bands, but you know it was at the time they really hit. It was like their fifth record or something. Yeah, it's very you know? different now. Now yeah. you need uh, now you need your jagged little pill. Oh, right away, right, right? out of the gate. Oh, and yeah, if you it, don't have your jagged little pill right no. out of the gate. You'll get, you'll get shelved. Like there's, there's that, there's yeah. that great book by Jake Slichter. Uh, so okay. I think it's So You Want to Be a Rock and Roll Star. He was the oh, drummer yeah. from Semisonic. Okay, cool. Yeah, so you know, yeah, another story. Of and it. it's interesting, yeah. be, it, it's it's especially interesting in that case because it's written by the perspective of the drummer who yeah. wasn't the writer, wasn't a founder of the band. Like there were two guys, I think <clears throat> Dan Wilson and the other guy, they were like from Trip Shakespeare. They're from another band. Oh, that's right. They yes, kind sir. of morphed into yes. Semisonic and they needed a drummer. And they somehow yeah. knew him, and so they, they still play that single a lot. Yeah. So and, and, you know, and they got they were big for a while. They you know? were very big for Slichter, a while. Like, very big. Slichter like ju- you know jumped in there, you yeah. know, like kind of rode the horse or whatever yeah. you want to call. Pick your metaphor. Yeah. And then you know they had their big hit with closing time, and then yes. it kind of, you know, they probably continued to make good music, but the people in the business didn't think it was that great no. and maybe it just didn't sell quite as much and you know how do you sell as much as something that's a mega hit yeah I know you know it's like your dark side of the moon Pink yes. Floyd too Pink Floyd was you know the you know they took classic him, band took him years to oh, get yeah. up to dark side let me see it was probably like ooh fifth 66 record six to 72 yeah I mean they did a lot of a lot of like obscure records well I mean they did have a few hits but you know not very big hits yeah see Emily play was not a huge hit no 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 and then so then dark side which yeah. of course blew the blue okay, everything up amazing but I mean it was just a groundbreaking record but then they had yeah. you know they eased down on the throttle a little bit yeah for wish you were here and then animals and then who could have seen the wall coming as oh big no as that I couldn't have. yeah nobody would have it was just so they had, they've got these two like the yin and the yang of what yeah, they did yeah, exactly anyway let's play I don't want, I want to get some more of your tunes in here I feel okay. like we you know we can just we can yammer music business all oh, yeah. night long and We're i will flex to my own devices so you've got we've got at least one more tune here what's this one man right under the bus under the bus under the bus yeah I, a, a friend of mine steve moose and i wrote this song when he was thinking hey, i got an idea for a title how about no one's ever written anything about someone throwing them under the bus we laughed for a while and then yeah. wrote this song yeah and this is going to be back on banjo right yes banjo back yes on banjo. yeah i love uh as, as a songwriting geek insider thing i love 
uh, country artists are the best at this, finding like a metaphor mm-hmm. that's like out there. Not a metaphor, but like a catchphrase. Yeah, a catchphrase. That's hook out, line, yeah. Yeah, hook line that's out in the ether and it's it's and it's starting to be picked up in our society or maybe it's been there for a really long yeah. time, but you've never really noticed it in a song before. Every right. now and again, you tr- like you're, you're walking, it's like walking in your hallway at night and you trip over the cat. Yeah, like, yeah. Oh, there it was. It was there all along. <laughs> you know? All right, so let's hear this, man. to be me and my buddies worked at the same plant for a boss as cruel as he was ignorant so we decided to tell him good I spoke my mind first no hesitation then I looked for some cooperation that's when I knew exactly where I stood You threw me under the bus You threw me under the bus The wheels went whoosh, whoosh, whoosh Over my poor head Such a low-down place to be Do you remember How you would stalk me Call me in the night Just to talk me Into having a rendezvous then your man begin to suspect me In the atmosphere where he would tech me That's when you told him I'd be bothering you You threw me under the bus You threw me under the bus The wheels went whoosh, whoosh, whoosh Over my poor head Such a low-down place to be Don't you stand there calling me brother I don't trust nobody but my mother And I think she's been jiving me too You threw me under the bus You threw me under the bus And the wheels went whoosh, whoosh, whoosh Over my poor head Such a low-down place to be You threw me under the bus Oh, you threw me under the bus And the wheels went whoosh, 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 whoosh 
more great music by Phil Parlapiano. So happy to have him as our guest here on Independence Day tonight. He's a Los Angeles-based, I guess I could call you a singer-songwriter. Yeah, that has kind of a, a weird connotation. Kind of a but weird what what else can you call it? Because you are a singer. Yeah, I'm a singer, you are a songwriter. songwriter. But you yeah. make you know your bread and butter is being. I hate to use the word side man, but yeah. you're like a support man. You're like a utility guy. Yeah. Session support guy. Session. Yeah. Session when we, man. You know when a lot of people see you on stage, and a lot of people have seen you on stage without probably knowing that they've seen you on stage, yeah. and they seen you play accordion and organ and piano and mandolin and guitar and probably yeah. sing some background vocals yes, and all of that all the above so what was piano your primary instrument growing up yeah when i was when i was very young i was i was um um thrown to the piano i was just drawn to it i always was even when i was very like two years old my and i had a grandmother who played the piano and she taught me how to play uh, when i was I, I distinctly remember sitting there when i was probably my earliest memories maybe like almost four years old, three and a half. And, uh, she, she, um, taught me how to, um, how to read the treble clef and how to play a few songs. And I, I, I played, um, I continued to play the piano and then I didn't take uh, lessons until I was, I had to be seven. I remember cause, uh, Betty White, that was her name. The late bloomer. She, yeah. Late bloomer. I know Betty White was the organist at our church. And so, uh, she taught me piano and then we switched over. And so I kept on the piano. It wasn't until uh, I was a teenager that I started to pick up the other instruments. And I mostly picked up the guitar because um, I didn't have a, a you, you couldn't get a keyboard in a rock and roll band. Yeah. You had to buy either a, 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 a some kind of organ, which were very heavy and very Cumbersome. expensive. Yeah. And, or you'd have to, um, or an electric piano and both of those, it really was a, a monetary thing. I mean, they were very, very expensive. Yeah. You'd get a guitar for a hundred dollars, but a keyboard would cost, you know, like eight, $900. Yeah, no well, one had that kind of money. No one. Yeah. Well, think it's a, it's a, well, it's a much more mechanically complicated instrument yeah. before everything became synthesized. And it would break too. Yeah. And that's because, yeah, you know, break. a guitar is very simple. Yes. You know, it's, it's, it doesn't have a lot of moving yeah. parts, you know, essentially it's yeah. really only got. I guess twelve moving parts, yeah, I six know, strings. Nice. I guess not cutting volume knobs, but but the biggest reason was because uh, girls like guitar players. I mean, they just did, you know. I mean, it's like they liked. I remember when as a kid they liked it if you played the piano, but they didn't like the keyboard. I remember even even to this day, I know girls that don't like the keyboard and they, go, they don't like that thing. You know, if you play a piano, they're like, hey. Oh, I love the piano. I think I, I, <laughs> I it's like romantic. Or I have something. a left field theory as to why. Yeah. I think it's because a lot of people were forced to play, forced to take piano lessons yeah. when they were kids. Yeah. So they have this weird negative association with being, you know, forced to be sat down yeah, with some, well, like, true, they do. some nun with a yardstick wrapping on your yeah, fingers because exactly, you're not yeah. playing your, uh, what's what's the methods book called? Oh, well, there's a Hannon's, the yeah. Hannon, and oh, the Churney. Oh, those are the, 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 the I, I don't Oh, Thompson method, yeah. maybe. Yeah, it was like a little kids, like. But I, I, I love the piano. But I was never one of those guys, and I'm still not. I'm not. I'm not a competitive player, and I'm not a um, uh, a technician. I never. We never entered competitions because it was all classical music, you know. And there was very. I mean, basically that then. I mean, everybody's so lucky now. You have things like Berkeley School of Music, which has. We used to call it commercial music, you know. So for a while, commercial music was was just jazz. I wasn't really interested in jazz. I mean, I liked Steely Dan as much as the next guy, but that wasn't jazz. So I had to teach myself a lot of a lot of things. This a lot of people did back then, where they just listened to parts. 
yeah. uh, Booker T parts and, you know, things, yeah. cool things that, that we liked and, you know, figure out exactly what they were doing, you know, and it was totally different than playing the piano because as you know, you know, you don't have to play all the notes when you got a bass and a drum going, you know, yeah. so. Yeah. Well, these are the guys that wrote the book, you yeah, know, they did. Uh, Booker T, even Benmont. Yeah, you know, Benmont goes back to the no. '60s. He played in bands in the he's '60s. My, he's my one of my biggest influence. Him and um, actually uh, Ian McLaughlin, who I had the privilege of playing with when I played with Rod Stewart, and I would like look over his shoulder, and you know, and I would, and I we actually like shared the keyboard a few times. Like literally, we play we play at the same time, the the organ, and between Benmont and um, and Ian, that's how I really it kicked in. Because when I was young, I played the Hammond organ. It was all like Keith Emerson and yeah. Rick Wakeman, and that that wasn't the way to. That wasn't a way to play commercial music. <laughs> no, yeah, because that music wasn't even terribly commercial. No, it wasn't. Honestly, no. I mean, you know the. Yeah. I think uh, the best thing that ever happened to Yes was Trevor Rabin. Yeah. Oh yeah. When they maybe because he made it. Yeah. Well, he made it palatable. Oh yeah. For people to buy at least a single or two. Yes. You know? Yes. He gave him a second life too. Gave they him a were, second They were life. dying. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, let's. Now you mentioned Rod Stewart there. Yes. Rod Stewart's a band that you played in. Yes, I did. Uh, tell me, tell me, like, how did that happen? Because that's you know he's one of the biggest names in the business. Yes, I know. Like, and how did you? Get, I guess maybe give me the short version of how you got from version. a guy like Prime to a guy like Rod Stewart. Well, luckily Prime was taking a little break and he was um, doing some solo shows, and right around that time I was looking for something to do, and um, a friend of mine, Don Teschner, who I played in clubs with. He was playing violin and mandolin with uh, Rod Stewart. We were all envious of him. And one day he called and he said, you know, Rod's doing this thing. He's going to do all his old songs. It's going to be called um, Unplugged. And uh, he Which wants, was a thing. It was a thing, yeah. A, they, a, a bunch of their, I think the first Unplugged was, I, I knew, I think it was, they asked Melissa Etheridge. She didn't want to do it. I think, I, don't, I can't remember. Eric Clapton, I think, was the first Unplugged. And uh, a lot of artists yeah. did really cool things with it. Neil yes. Young's Unplugged record yes. is great. And then Nirvana, of course. Yeah, Nirvana was record. amazing, yeah. So uh, uh, everybody was doing it, and it was time for Rod to get back and do his old songs, which, I mean, I loved. I mean, I grew up listening to Maggie Mae when I was a kid. It was one of my favorite songs. And so he said, oh, I need, he needs someone to play a second mandolin and uh, something else. And I told him to play accordion, and do you want to come down and um, you know meet him and, and maybe play? And so I did, and it was crazy because I, I came for two days, and they just kept telling me to come back, but they didn't say I got the gig. And um, the second day, Ron Wood showed up from the Stones, and um, he was playing, you know, he played on the early Faces stuff and with Rod, and um, he was right in front of me, uh, seated, and uh, Rod was, um, I think he still hadn't told me that I got the gig. And so Rod looked at, Rod looked at Ronnie, and and he looked at me and he goes, basically, is this guy good? He was, Rod used to say, is this guy, is it good or is it useless? You know? So he like, look at me. He looked at me and looked at Ronnie. Is this guy good or is he useless? And Ronnie's like, no, no. He shook his head and he like gave the thumbs up. And then Rod, Rod looked at me and goes, all right, you're in. You know, and that was it. And uh, so I was happy as, as Clam. I mean, when the first time that, that Rod sang Maggie, May, um, um, basically the end where it's like, Maggie, I wish I had never seen your face. Um, I remember being a little kid and hearing the mandolins and it was like, oh, this is the greatest thing ever. And I was playing it. It was like, 
uh, I've arrived. Yeah. <laughs> it was like one of the pivotal points. Yeah, man. Because that, yeah. that led to a lot of work. Yeah, it right? did. Because you were yeah. out with him for I, a pretty a, good while. About almost uh, two years, yeah. That's a long while yeah. to be out doing the same, yes, it was. The same thing. And we did it. And we, we used to do it with an orchestra. It was a really big deal. It was nice. Well, let's hear a little bit of this. Yes. We have decided to play, uh, I think, Mandolin Win? Mandolin Win, yes. All right, let's listen to this. This is Phil Parlapiano playing with someone who you might recognize, someone called Rod Stewart here on Independence Day. That's correct, Rob. Yeah, starts play accordion yes and guitar and all these other keyboard instruments but now you're playing mandolin with rod stewart yeah i played a little mandolin with my own with my own band uh the brother Srigro, and i kind of picked up a little bit of that from that guy tim scott and a marmonizioni who is known as the mandolin man and um so i didn't want to infringe on his on his thing but i just knew how to play it and um, it was it was a new experience for me, yes, to, to be playing that in front of. It was a new experience to be playing in front of, geez, twenty thousand people. Yeah. We actually played a, a thing in in Germany, and they said it was something like four hundred fifty thousand people. Wow. Yeah. You think it, that was your biggest crowd? Yeah, I think so. It's it's really strange because I had just done a crowd last year in Brazil with Iron Butterfly, believe it or not. Where I actually sang in it got defeated up. And um, it, they just closed You're, down wait, the street. Wait, I got to stop you right yes. there. You're telling me. <laughs> no, it's crazy. That you got to sing in Agata de Vida <laughs> with Iron Butterfly yes. in Brazil? Yes, in Brazil, yeah. It was kind of a one off. I did about four shows with Phil, them. When you're when you're ready to write your book. Yeah. I want you to promise me that you'll call me because we will write the the most awesome rock and okay. roll book together. I hope so. Yeah, that would be nice. But yeah, no, I came and and um, the funny thing is when there's so many people, that many people, it doesn't look like that many people. They tell me different. Like even the the thing in Brazil was like a hundred thousand people. It just like people go on for a sea. And you don't really get, I didn't really get nervous or anything like that. No one really gets nervous because it's almost like you're just playing to the front row. Yeah. Which were usually beautiful women. So that was nice. A rough life, man. Yeah, well, that was that was a good part. That was a good part of the uh, music business. So walk me a little bit because things yeah. have changed in the business. Yeah, you know, yeah. technology. You know, nobody had cell phones and, and iPads no, and laptops. No, 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 yeah. Like, t- 
tell me, just give me, you know, you can leave out the names. I'm not even looking for like dirt, but tell me just what was it, what did it feel like to be on the road? So that Rod Stewart, that would have been what, late 90s? Mid 90s, yeah. Mid 90s, okay. Yeah. What was just, you know, walk me through a day. Oh, well, when it was, when it was really happening, we, um, We'd uh, we'd be in great hotels, which is nice, you know, because you know we're he's Rod Stewart. Yeah, yeah. So we get to stay in he he's we'd stay in nice hotels. He'd stay in an amazing hotel, you know, ho- hotels where there may be like ten guests, the whole same ho- whole hotel all yeah. year. Yeah, <laughs> it's crazy. I mean, I have no idea how much that must cost. But then we had a we had a private jet. We literally had a seven forty seven. Seriously. Yes, yeah, so we had seven forty seven that we flew around in. And um, we had four um, flight attendants, all beautiful girls, that uh, would attend. And Were ask, they, did they have clothes? They did have clothes. They had, uh, but they had special uniforms, and that was nice. Yeah, no, it was it was all on the up and up. You know, he always brought his wife with him. So, and he actually literally had all the the coach section, the back section. There were beds back there. There was like a, it was a whole like bedroom you know like bunch of beds and we had the front i mean really we were in you know not in first class but i mean i had the room of maybe oh eight seats you know just everybody had that for themselves yeah. it was amazing it's probably bigger than my apartment in new yeah. york man it was amazing you know we had a bar and they'd ask us what we what our favorite drinks were and they would make them and it was wow it was, it was kind of a dream come true and we'd we'd um we you wouldn't and we could you 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 drove your van up to the to the plane. Yeah, you just drove it up to the plane, went into the plane through the back, and we'd take off, and then we'd do this thing called a uh, hubbing or satelliting. So, so we had a gig in Boston. We'd fly right. back to New York, and we'd have this great hotel in New York that we'd all stay at. We'd uh, get, have relationships, get married, get divorced, and the whole time, you know, the four weeks that we were there. Yeah, and um, it was it was really a really great way to travel. It was really first class. We had a nice time, and so uh, and we play a big gig. And the, the this was always a funny part that, that we we'd be playing. and We do the encore, and and the, when the encore is done, man, we'd literally run off stage into a van, and they would go to the uh, the airport, go right up to the plane, and we'd leave. From off the plane. you go. Yeah, we really surreal. Yeah, actually, my friend Doug Pettibone is doing something similar with um, with uh, you know. Oh yeah, he's out with John Mayer right John now. John Mayer, yes, that's correct. Yeah, yes. I, know, I know the Pettibone. Yes, yes, Mr. Pettibone. So he's a uh, good on him, man. Because he's Lucinda's guy. Normally, yes, yes, that's correct. Yeah, he's, he's been around with you. John Mayer. He has been. Right? We've done a lot of gigs together. We've had a lot of fun. So let me ask you this, and then we've got time for about one more song. Okay. I think Phil, um, of all, because let's, I've got this list. Okay. I've printed it out here. These are just just people. I'm, you know, we mentioned people before. Uh, that you've played with, but like, good lord, where do you go? Iris Dement, Victoria yeah, Williams, uh, Alana Miles. I'm going backwards. I'm going from yeah. the, from the bottom man. I think these people are bad. Emmylou Harris, Patty Smythe, uh, Dixie Chicks, yeah. Cheryl Crow, uh, Donovan, uh, Bonnie Raitt, Cindy Lauper, Jackson Brown, Miley Cyrus. Miley Cyrus, yeah, I did. <laughs> I did one one try. Actually, the duet she did with uh, with Cheryl Crow. Man alive, social Did not distortion. Meet Liza Minnelli, Levon Helm, Carlene Carter. I mean, Elvis Costello, man, yeah. that's awesome. Yeah, that it's, is, it's it's a good it's a good thing, you know. Some I spent more time with than others. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Of course, I'm sure. But that, I think Elvis Costello was a really big, was a really big. What uh, era was that? Was it a tour was, with live show or was it? Album? No, it was a live show. It was something called Crossroads that um, that. 
Is that the Clapton thing? No, no. It was, it was it was a show on VH1 that um, Stan from uh, Stan Lynch from the Heartbreakers hosted for a while. And what he would do is he would take an icon from the rock and roll field and put them with an icon from the country field and like have them play together. And they considered Lucinda Williams country, even though she's you know, alt country, whatever. And, uh, and Elvis Costello. And that was really good. Cause yeah. I, I've always liked Elvis, you know, and he was groundbreaking. He's one of those guys. And, not only groundbreaking in the in the semi new wave punk days, but then he's proven himself to be quite a you know yeah. amazing, amazing songwriter. I didn't really fully get Elvis Costello until I saw him play live. Yeah, I was working with a band that opened for him at the House of Blues here yeah. in L.A. one time, and I was like, I was excited. I was like, oh, it's Elvis Costello. He's a yeah. legend. It'd be cool to see him play. Yeah, and he blew my socks off. Yeah, he's a fully functional, capable guitar player. He's not oh, yeah, just yeah. a singer who strums exactly. along. He's a solid guitar player and his band's hot and he had uh davy farragher yeah. who's cracker's old bass player right playing bass for him uh you know a hot band yeah i mean uh, thomas steve, i think yeah, p thomas steve naive is amazing keep one of the most he's a really amazing keyboard player this is and this is a total inside baseball yeah. thing that i promise i will play oh, yeah. this tune because we got some between us i'm sure we've got a million stories you've got them 10 million like uh, I was a guitar tech for the band that was opening, and a lot of times it's uh, Leslie is a big rotating speaker cabinet for those of you uh, out yes. there in the world who aren't keyboard geeks like we are. Uh, it's a big thing. It's like the size of a small refrigerator, like a dorm fridge maybe, or a three-quarter size fridge. And it's old wooden thing they made him in the fifties and sixties. Got a couple of rotating things that makes the the organ sound awesome. Yeah. But because it's so big and cumbersome, sometimes they'll put them off stage, and. I was the guitar tech and I was in the stairwell off the side of the stage with my little guitar rig, literally uh, arms reach away from yeah, Steve Naive's Leslie. organ. Yes. There was his Leslie right there. So like all, and I, I love or Leslie. So all through the sound check and that while I was doing my thing, he was playing and I'm right next to his organ. It <laughs> You're was hearing his, it really well. His Leslie, it was so cool. <laughs> yeah. I, I could have, I could have listened to that all my I know long. it's a beautiful sound. It's, it's, it's got the, uh, sound. the Doppler effect. Oh, Yes. Man, I'm going to make an album of just Leslie's. Yeah, stuff I'm, I'm, I'm there with you. All right, how about one more tune, man? What okay, have you got yes. for us? This one's Shiloh. Uh, oh, excuse me. Shiloh, I wrote a long time ago as an instrumental tune, and I finally added some words to it. I really don't know what they are. It's kind of, They're kind of dreamlike, but they're, I tried to write something about um, the Holocaust, but Holocaust's not very... It's not a very sexy topic, so I just kind of. <laughs> <laughs> Truer kinda, words have never been spoken. Phil. I kind of just uh, streamed it into the the whole thing, so it's kind of more of like a dream. Yeah. Which I, a lot a lot of my songs are about dreams. In fact, the first song we we listened to, which is a new world, is actually about dreaming. So yeah, good thing you and Queen yeah. Drake. Yeah, that's right. And we'll tie it all together. Shiloh was the name. Little known music trivia fact was the name of Don Henley's first band. Oh, I did that he used that. to play in back in Texas. Yeah, so tie yeah. it all together, man. Yeah, it all comes together. All right, Phil, let's hear this. This is uh, Phil Parlapiano. So excited to hear this. One more track from him here on Independence Day. Listen like a boulder in the stream When the skylight fades to gray 
whistle and a scream from far away yeah. Just a remembrance from the past I was going nowhere sinking fast Like a ghost out of a dream Fill my empty soul Shiloh You fill my empty soul Shiloh Some left fortunes far behind Some were praying when they had the time Fell for you just all the same You made me proud just to wear your name Just a remembrance from the past I was going nowhere looking for another chance Like a ghost out of a dream Fill my empty soul shallow Fill my empty soul shallow First word she spoke she woke from her sleep Don't worry too much About those monsters that creep Nothing is real Doesn't come from your heart With love She never saw the south of France She never knew the lone dog dance Never to know her father's fame Being herself only to blame Just a remembrance from the past I was always thinking going nowhere fast Like a ghost out of my dreams You fill my empty soul shallow No, no, the first word she spoke as she woke from her sleep Oh, don't worry too much About those monsters that creep No, no, it's nothing is real Doesn't come from your heart With love You fill my empty soul With love You fill my empty soul With love You fill my empty soul With love
Phil, once again, man, that was really, really great. And I, I love that line, nothing is real that doesn't come from your heart. Yes. Because keeping great. it, it sounds like the dopey catchphrase, but keeping it real is what it's all about. Yeah. Man. There's a lot of dopey catchphrases in all your favorite songs, believe me. But, like, uh, yeah. but you know, but, and, but in, in all seriousness, like when, when things are real, that's, that's what I strive for yeah. in, in all aspects of my life. Whatever it is, like even if it sucks, even if it's painful or it's you know, something I have to go through, like I want the real thing. You know? Yeah, that's hard to say because painful, painful, real painful stuff is, is really bad. But uh, you always, I mean, it, once again, cliches, but you, you know, you always see that it, that it had some kind of value to it. Yeah. And always. It's, and it's easy to, it, it's easy to kind of distill them down to greeting card philosophies, yes. which is like that, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Yes, I know. You I want to give say the that. finger to that person <laughs> when they say that when you're going through it. Yeah. But, you know, uh, these things are what make us human and yeah. these things are what make us real as yeah. people. Because if you never suffered... You know, it's like I, I knew, I knew I wouldn't be a good songwriter until I'd had my heart broken a few times. Oh, I know. I agree with that. Yes. You know, I, I hadn't had it until recently. Because what are you going to yeah. write about if everything, if everything's happy? Yeah. No, there's nothing to write about. I mean, happy, happy things, unless you're doing religious music, it just doesn't make sense. And I like, you know what, man? And I, I don't want to give the wrong impression. Yeah. I, I love happy. Yeah, happy too, is, yeah. happy is great. Like Johnny Nash's, I can see clearly yeah, now, which yeah. to me is like the epitome of happy, the best happy song ever. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Uh, yeah, okay, yes, uh, there's nothing negative about that song. I think about you it. You know, and yeah. the, such a pure tenor on top yeah, of it all, yeah. man. So great. But that's that leads actually as it leads to to my last topic is my next record is about going through that pain and learning something from it. Basically, the 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 idea being not regretting the catharsis. What has of, yeah, the, and I'm hoping that after this, I can finally like, get rid of a few things <laughs> I've been carrying around for a while. <laughs> yeah, man, it's it's very therapeutic to yeah. unload this stuff with music. I, exactly. I I encourage it. So people should go out and pick up the Mordacious Mister Squeeze just came out this year on CD Baby. Uh, do you ever have them at shows? When you play shows, you must. I do play shows. shows. We we do a lot of things the at uh, the joint and the mint, but I don't have anything online right now. Yeah, but it will be in my Facebook very yeah. soon. Yeah, and also you've got you still got copies of the other two records, right? Yes, Piano Forte, Piano Forte. and uh, Medicine Man. Medicine Man, which go back pretty good ways. You yes. spread out those records. Yes, and then uh, and then our Christmas record too, the Brothers Figaro Old Time Christmas. Oh, very nice. Yes. Did you write an original Christmas song? We wrote one original Christmas. One song. One of the yeah, most yeah. challenging things to do in the world. <laughs> <laughs> to try to get a song into that canon, man. I have this theory that like the the, the newest Christmas song that I will allow into the canon is uh, Vince Guaraldi from like 1966. Oh, yeah, yeah. Great one, Any, too. Anything later than that, I don't want to hear it. Yeah, man. yeah. Anyway. All right, Phil, man, it's been... I keep saying this over and over again, but it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show. Oh, you say that to, you. to everybody. <laughs> you say that to all the girls. <laughs> no, but it has been. No, you know, no, it's I mean, really I, great. I, Thanks I, for having me down. I'm glad we could do it. Uh, you know, and I, I'm looking forward to hearing what you do. This new record that you just alluded yes. to a second ago, is this something you're like hard, you know, working hard on, or is this something? Yeah. I'm doing something new, actually. Um, I, I already know where I'm going. I'm going to do it with my, the guy I did before, Chuck Kavoris. We're going to do a 16 and 2-inch so it's yeah, it's the, the really fat analog stuff. Yeah, because yeah. Well, the, my last record was done all in analog too, which is why I'm continuing that in that manner. But the the interesting thing about this is that I haven't written one word. It's all in my head, and I'm going to sit down for about a few days and just write the whole record and then record the record. That's my my challenge to myself. I like the sound of that, man. Yeah, I'm mm -hmm. looking forward to hearing that. Okay, good. Very, very nice. Me so, too. thanks to Phil Parlapiano, also to the Independence Day staff, Valentino Rivera, Dale Tanksley, Wayne Topinski, and Sally Shackleton. Independence Day's theme music was composed by Great Lakes Myth Society. For Independence Day, I am Joe Armstrong. Please be good to one another. <laughs>